So um, we are going to watch the end of day's update today with everything going on. I thought it would be good to, uh, to watch uh, what Brother Joseph had to say, and then we'll get with our message here. So we'll start with this. Welcome to this week's end of day's update, coming to you from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Colleen, I trust you had a great Christmas and ready for a wonderful new year. 2020 is going to be so good. Aren't we blessed to watch how close we are to the coming of the Lord? It's amazing. That's why we do the end of day's update every week. It's about looking at the finish line. We run faster, not slower. We're so privileged to have the technology to see all the things setting up for Jesus coming back to the planet. It's so cool. Hey, if you're anywhere near Topeka, Kansas this next weekend, we'll be at Light of the World Christian Center Sunday through Wednesday with night meetings and morning meetings as well. We'll have a great time. Try to join us if you can in the center of the country. We'll have a great time. Man, we're coming to you every week to look at the different things that point to the coming of the Lord and specifically the gathering of nations for the Ezekiel 38 war. And what you had happen in the last couple of weeks, man, everybody's freaking out about it. is this the Ezekiel 38 war? I believe we're a little ways away from that, but man, it's a total setup for it. And we'll get into all that as we look at the things that happen. Uh, you know, Jesus rebuked the crowd because he said, you can tell what the weather is going to be, but you don't know your hour of visitation. So the whole purpose was uh, to know what time it is. I hear people say, why do we need to know when the Lord's coming back? That's going to happen anyway. Well, the closer you get, the more crucial things are. Just like in a football game at the two-minute warning, the plays are more critical at the two-minute warning, more critical at the end. So it's a hustle mentality, not a slow-down mentality. I had one guy say to me, Joe, if you preach on the coming of the Lord, just get everybody's hopes up. Duh, that's exactly right. It's the hope that purifies us even as we're pure. So let's look at what's happened this last week. Man, radical things have happened this last week. Obviously, you know of uh, the General Soleimani that got killed, the Revolutionary Guard General from Iran. A lot of things weren't said about that, and I saw the left go crazy about, oh, why did we do that? Well, people didn't even talk about, not only did he kill 600 of our servicemen and women, uh, think of the families involved in that when people mock that, uh, he should have been killed. I like what General Petraeus said. He said this was more important than Osama bin Laden being killed. But the whole point of this is this is the mastermind and the architect behind all the missiles coming from Iran down into Syria to be piled up so that they can destroy Israel. I mean, Israel this last week uh, did a, a sort, several sorties and took out missiles that are there in Damascus because of this general. Uh, people don't even talk about that, but that's really the whole thing behind this. This, is this guy set up on annihilating Israel. He said this last year, three times that I know of publicly, Israel is the rabid dog of the Middle East and must be wiped off the map. So his mindset's been annihilation of Israel. Why? Their doctrine is if they start a war with Israel, it's basically their end of days war and it brings in their Messiah. So their doctrine is if they try to annihilate Israel, it'll bring their Messiah in. What's really wild happened this last week after the assassination of him, one of the messianic mosques in Tehran flew a red flag. That's indicative of they're ready for the, the Oman to come and they believe the Messiah is about to come, their Messiah. Well, technically, he's the Antichrist. So you've got them doing things that are uh, setups for what's going to happen after we leave. So I, I know it's wild to see all this playing out right in front of us, but it's very strategic that this man was taken out because he was trying to annihilate Israel. Before this, this the, now they've said this lately, but before this, he said, we have Haifa, we have we have Tel Aviv on our radar. We have 21 American bases on our sites to annihilate. This is before he was assassinated. And then now they're saying, well, uh, they're going to go back to their nuclear program. They weren't abiding by the rules anyway about their nuclear program. 
it's it's basically one lie after another. So you're watching the setup for the Ezekiel 38 war with that happening. Now with this, you had the Shiite militias in Iraq pull their main men out, send them to Iran, send them down to uh, Syria. That's a big deal because that means it looks like they're getting ready to attack American forces. Uh, they'll, I think they'll find out they shouldn't have done that. I mean, just the American forces that went on active. Uh, we had 22 Marines, 2,200 Marines coming over uh, to, to fill in those positions. Another 3,000 Marines showing up. I love the exercise that the Air Force had in Utah. They had this was a, well, they say it was a coincidence. They had 52 F-35s in a rapid deployment in 15 minutes to go take off. And now we have B-52s that are coming over to the Indian Ocean. you got F-35s that are ready. So I, everybody goes, is this it? No, this is not it. I think we still have some more time. People get mad when I say that. They go, why do you think we have more time? Because I think we have more time. <laughs> but uh, these are all set up for it. I mean, you have Turkey this week sending troops down to Libya. This is a huge thing for, uh, for the war, Ezekiel 38 war. I, I saw all these sites even comparing these things and connecting the dots. Because, man, when you see Turkey hooking up with Libya, those are two of the nations along with Iran and several other nations that are going to attack Israel right after the rapture. So you've got Tur- Turkish troops down in Egypt. You've got Iran doing all these things that are basically getting ready to start a war. But I think we have a little bit more time for this. So many, many more things are happening. You've got Benjamin Netanyahu is getting immunity, so it looks like his trial is going to be months away. You had uh, missiles that were fired from Gaza over into Israel. I told you about my friend said they had a lot of times they go to uh, shelters 22 times a day, so it's crazy. Tons more is happening though that points to the coming of the Lord. You had uh, our our Congresswoman Omar got anti-Semite of the year. You had all the anti-Semitism things that happened in America a few weeks ago. There's been such a rise of that. Well, Jesus is about to come back. I mean, you have in Iran, you have posters of Netanyahu, posters of Macron, posters of Angela Merkel, and posters of President Trump with targets on them uh, because Iran said death to Israel, death to America. Now they're adding other nations to it. So it's that spirit right before the coming of the Lord. Just just like the days of Noah. So we're so privileged to watch it. So what do we do? Help our local church, help our local pastor. We do whatever we can to get the will of God wrought in a short period of time. So let's look at the scriptures. There's all the signs that point to the coming of the Lord. The rapture is signless, but the second coming has tons of signs. You have Israel made a nation. You got Jerusalem won back. Jesus said the generation sees those two will not pass away till all is fulfilled. Then you have the Hebrew language restored. You've got the Ethiopian Jews brought back. You've got the fertility of the land of Israel. You've got the revival of the Roman Empire. You've got the Temple Mount Institute. In fact, they found artifacts this week at the Temple Mount showing there was business and, and, and uh, commerce from 2,000 years ago. Pretty cool. They even highlighted the, the road from the city of David up into the temple. Uh, stuff that I don't even have time to get into, but that's all happening right now. So all these things, and you have 172 different species of predatory birds, uh, pretty radical. You have the cleanup crew in Israel right now. And then you have uh, even more than that. You had you had foxes show up on the Temple Mount a few months ago. Crazy. That's from Lamentations. You have Ezekiel prophesied there'd be fish in the Dead Sea. That they showed up this last year. So there's all these tangible, physical things that point to the coming of the Lord. And then you have uh, the signals. You have the signs. You have the heavens. You have the blood red moons on Passover and Tabernacles. Pretty radical that you had four in a row on Passover and Tabernacles. When's the last time you had that? 1967 when Jerusalem was won back. 1948 when Israel was made a nation. And 1492 at the Edict of Expulsion. So you've got the heavens signaling. You had the Bethlehem Star this last year. First time in 2000 years. You had Jupiter, Regulus, and Venus come together. I mean, that's pretty radical that God's going out of his way to make it blatant that Jesus is just about to come back. 
Well, this is what this is how we react. We look at all these signs, look at all these signals. We help our local church, help our local pastor. We've got to get the message out because Jesus is just about to come back. There's many, many, many more. It's time that you don't have time to get into it each week. We have men will be lovers themselves. We have selfie sticks. So I, I was in California and watched this guy have two selfie sticks. He almost got hit by a car. So. Uh, the, the world is getting ready for the entrance of the king. You're seeing people yield to darkness like never before. That, that much more people should be yielding to light, yielding to the Lord. There should be the season of utterance for the church to talk about the coming of the Lord. There should be a preaching. There should be a voice. There should be a shouting that Jesus is just about to come back to the planet. We're so blessed. So soon we'll see him face to face. King of kings and Lord of lords. Bright morning star. Lily of the valley. The firstborn from the dead. He's the brightness of the glory of God. He's Jesus. We're about to see. Hey, have a blessed, awesome week. We'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Well, that was interesting, wasn't it? So, uh, just as a reminder, Joseph will be with us. Uh, Reverend Morris will be with us in March. Uh, March 20th, 21st, and 22nd. So make sure you put that on your calendars and you don't want to miss that. So I'm sure he'll have a lot more to say about uh, about the end times and stuff when he's when he comes with us. Um, Mike, can I get you to hand these out? Please, sir. Thank you. All right, so let's open up our Bibles to Luke 16. I want to just real quick. Uh, it's been a, Actually, I was looking at this. We only, uh, it's been like since December 11th since we did our series that we've been doing. But we've been talking about like, uh, you know, uh, walking in victory and, and you know, and, and just making sure that we understand what some of these words mean, what some of the phrases, some of the terminology we use means. We've looked at, uh, you know, we've looked at salvation. Um, we've looked at salvation. We've looked at, um, you know, what, what that really means, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. We looked at the Blood Covenant. Um, you know, we walked through the Blood Covenant. What was it that Abraham believed? We... Talk about the virgin birth, why the virgin birth is important. And then uh, the last two times, the first two Sunday or the first two Wednesdays in December, we've been talking about the cross. Thank you, sir. We've been talking about the cross and, and the importance of the cross. And when we, when we talk about the cross, really, um, for, for a lack of a better word or lack of a better terminology, really what we're talking about is the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because when we think about the cross... Um, it's not just the cross that's important. Now, the cross was important, but it wasn't just the cross. If, if all that happened was Jesus died on the cross, He just would have died another good martyr. But we know that, that uh, the, the most powerful thing that happened, uh, you know, what happened on the cross was powerful, but the most powerful thing that happened, probably in the history of the world, was that God resurrected Jesus. Amen. And He, he became the firstborn among the dead. So... Um, you know, so that is that is uh, you know why that's one of the main things, the reasons of the cross. But last last time we looked at the importance of the cross, and and we talked about some of the some of the things that people um, you know that people talk about or that the mis uh, misconceptions of the cross. We looked at all of those. Tonight we're going to talk about and and really and and on the back of the page from last week too, or from December actually it's December 11th, almost been a month ago with all the holidays and everything. But uh, on the back of that page, we talked about how the, the cross was really a place of great exchange. How that, that there was an exchange that happened at the cross. And that exchange that happened 
was, you know, I mean, how Jesus took our sins and gave us His righteousness. Jesus took our pains and gave us healing. He took, he took our uh, poverty and He gave us prosperity. You know, I mean, so, so there was a great exchange that happened there at the cross. And uh, so, so the cross was important. Now, I want to talk to you about uh, this tonight. And it's another one of those uh, very, you know, you get people riled up big time when you start talking about this. But we're going to look at Scripture and see what Scripture has to say tonight. But, but I want to uh, ask the question, what happened from the cross to the throne? Those three days that between when Jesus died on the cross and when He was resurrected, when He, when he showed Himself at, you know, after the, after the burial, the three days when He was, showed Himself resurrected, what happened in those three days? Um, anybody interested in learning that? You know, I mean, because that's important, you know. Now, you'll hear all kinds of people give you all kinds of different, um, all kinds of different thoughts on it. And it's just like anything, people, you know, people will tell you that, that a lot of people will say that, you know, Jesus didn't really die, that he just, you know, it was just like, um, he just he, he just had the appearance of dying and he went back to heaven until he came back and you know when he met Mary there at the sepulcher and people will say things like that people will say that uh, I mean they'll have all kinds of different things but one of the one of the things that you don't hear a lot of people talking about and, and you'll get a lot of pushback when you hear this was that and this is what we teach and what I believe is that Jesus when he died when he cried it is finished and the Bible says he gave up his spirit. That that he you know that he gave his gave up the ghost is what the Bible says gave up his spirit that his his spirit actually literally went to hell went to Hades and you know now a lot of people will say oh no there's no way that could do that but now listen here's the reason why that's so important because if he took our place and if if he paid the price for us the Bible tells us that the the penalty of of sin is death and and because of death. Because of the, the, the price that, or because of the, the mistake that Adam made and, and Adam and Eve in the garden when, when they, when they disobeyed God and, and obeyed the enemy and, and, you know, that fellowship was broken. Because of that, from that, the Bible tells us very plainly, from that moment forward, even until this moment, everyone that is born in this world is born without God. And if you're born without God, if you die without God, the Bible is very clear about that. That that you that you will spend eternity apart from Him, and the only there's two places that you could end up. You're going to end up in heaven, or you're going to end up in hell. I mean, there's there's no other word. There's not a purgatory. There's not a resting place. It's not you know people will tell you that hell's not real, but the Bible's very clear about it. That hell is a real place, and um, you know, and, and we may even look at that, and you know, in this series, just because to show you what the Bible says about that, uh, because it's important to understand that. So, so what we're going to talk about today is what happened when he said, it is finished, and he breathed his last and gave up the ghost, the Bible says. From that moment, his spirit, just like, just like your spirit and my spirit, the Bible says that to be, to be absent from the body, for, us, for Christians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, if you're without God, to be absent from the body, that means you'll be, you'll be unpresent from the Lord. You'll be in, you know, you're, going to, you're going to be apart from him. And for all of eternity. So, so, um, so let's let's open up and and I've I've wrote most of this out for you and and because we're going to look at a lot of scripture tonight if we can get through it all and look at this. So let's look at Luke chapter sixteen and starting in verse nineteen. And this is probably a familiar story to you, but 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 um, I want to show you the two. You know this this story here that Jesus tells, uh, this account that Jesus gives. 
uh, gives the account or gives the picture of what Hades. Now, okay, let me. I'll even back up further, and I probably even should have put this in here. A lot of people get confused about Hades and hell. Okay, Hades was a was a temporary place that, uh, and actually, is still there today. Uh, Hades is a place where people go because, as of right now, there's no one in hell right now. Because the Bible says that hell is the lake of fire that will that will be the final resting place, that will be the final place for Satan and all the angels that disobeyed and for everybody that rejected Jesus. But right now, right now everyone is in Hades until until the resurrection of the dead when they stand before the great white throne. And when, when people stand before the great white throne and they and Jesus says, Depart from me, I never knew you, they will be cast into the lake of fire, which is known as hell. Now, in a lot of your translations, even like in this one that we'll read, reading from the King James, the Bible says like it says that the rich man was in hell and lifted up his eyes. That the, if you look at the original language in that, is actually if you go back and trace that, is actually Hades. But some translations just put hell in there. So don't get don't let that trip you up about hell and Hades. Hades is just like the place where where people are now. But hell is like the final resting place. It's the and actually the Bible says that Hades and everyone that's in it will be cast into into hell in the lake of fire. So um, you know so don't let that don't let that trip you up there. So verse 19, Luke 16, verse 19, it says this. And this was Jesus talking, and he said, there was, a, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, Lazarus died, and he was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, and if you look like even in the Amplified and most of your modern translations, they use the, the word Hades. Uh, the Amplified translates it says, And in Hades, or the realm of the dead. So in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And it says, And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would want to come from thence. So, and, and he talks a little bit more about where he asked if he had sent somebody to his brothers and Abraham told him that he had the prophets and everything. But the point I wanted you to see was this. Notice that there were two, two different places there here in this story. Lazarus, when he died, he went to Abraham's bosom. And the Bible says that the rich man went to Hades. And, and however that looks and whatever that looks like, and I mean, I don't understand all that, and I don't, I don't have a full revelation about it, but however that looks, the rich man looked across this gulf or this, this chasm, the different translations call it, this span, and he saw Abraham and Lazarus across it, and he yelled out to him and talked to him, and Abraham talked back to him. But Abraham told him, he said, you know, this gulf is fixed between us, and I, we, you can't pass to me, and I can't pass to you, even if we wanted to. So, so we see here that, that Hades is a place of torment, 
And those that believed, those that, those that had faith, and because remember now, no one, no one was born again until after Jesus was resurrected. So everybody in the Old Testament, everybody in the Old Testament, none of them you know, went to heaven immediately because nobody was born again. Jesus told Lazarus, you know, you must be born again to enter into heaven, enter into the kingdom. So, so where did they go? Like Abraham and Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and all the, the, the people that trusted God and believed in God. Well, they went to Abraham's bosom. And here you see that very plainly. That, that, you know, I mean, this spells it out very clearly that they went to Abraham's bosom and all the wicked people, the people that did not trust God, they went to Hades. Abraham's bosoms, they're, and, and, in Abraham's bosom, they're comforted and they're, you know, it's a resting place for those that believe in God. Hades is a place of, of torture and a place of fire just like, just like hell will be. And, uh, you know, so you see the two different, the two different places here. So notice, um, then let's look over at, um, at Luke, or we were here in Luke. Turn back to Luke 12 and verse 40. And that's not right. I think that's Matthew 12, 40. Let me look at that. I think, I think that's a typo. Let me look. Mm-hmm. Yep, actually that's Matthew 12, 40. That's not Luke. I'm sorry. That's a typo. You can scratch that. And uh, this is Jesus again talking, and Jesus said this in Matthew twelve forty. He said, "For for as as Jonah was in was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth." So Jesus prophesied about himself, and he and he was telling them. He said, "Listen," he said, "Just like Jonah. Remember, we talked about this. I think when we looked at looked at it earlier." But Jonah, and we may get, if we have time, we'll go back and read Jonah 2 a little bit later. But Jonah is a picture, is a prophetic picture of what would happen to Jesus. And where the, the whale swallowed him, and he was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. Jonah prayed in the, in the belly of the whale. You can read that in Jonah chapter 2. And the whale spit him out, and, and he, was, you know, he was rescued from that whale. Uh, that's a picture of what would happen to Jesus. And here, he, he puts himself into that story, and he said, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, he says, I will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. So what was in the heart of the earth? You know, uh, people, people can, there again, you have all kinds, of, uh, all kinds of stories about this, you have all kinds of you know, uh, opinions about this, but the Bible talks about that hell is beneath us, um, the Bible talks about the heart of the earth a couple times. Jesus here says this, um, and some of the prophetic Psalms talks about that, that Hades is in the heart of the earth. So, you know, um, so here Jesus himself said, I will go to the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Because, see, a lot of people said when Jesus died, the people that don't believe that, the people that don't believe that he, that, that he literally died, they'll say that he went to heaven and was in heaven those three days and three nights. And, and then he came back. But here, Jesus himself said, I'm going to go to the heart of the earth. And, and from everything we can conduct from, from Scripture, we see and we know that, that that is the description of where hell is. That hell is in the center of the earth. And like I said, how that looks, you know, and you have to remember because it's not a place um, for natural bodies. Remember, it's a spirit, you know, that's where our spirits will go, a spiritual bodies. And spiritual. So, um, and you have to remember in the spirit, the, the cool thing about our spiritual body is 
is that from, from everything we, we can deduct from Scripture, we'll be able to walk through physical things in our spiritual body. Jesus did that. In His spiritual body, in His resurrected body, He walked right, through, he walked right into a room where the door was shut and locked. Right? So in our resurrected body, you know, we'll be able to do that. And so, so, so you might say, well, how, how are they in the center of the earth? Well, because it, it is, is going to be their, is going to be their spiritual body. It won't be a, it won't be a, a it won't be a, a heavenly body. It'll be, it'll be just their spirit, but they, but they will be in torment. For all of eternity, the Bible says that. So, and I believe that it will last for eternity. A lot of people think that that it won't last for all of eternity, but I believe that it will. And you know, I think the Bible the Bible talks about that. So Jesus prophesied that he was going to be in in the be- or in the the earth for three days and three nights. Now turn over to John chapter twenty, and we'll see what happened after. Now we're going to kind of go forward a little bit, and then we'll go back. But in John chapter 20, this is Jesus has died. They laid him in the, t- the tomb. Uh, Mary Magdalene comes the first, you know, the first day of the week, uh, early in the morning, and and when she gets there, um, when she gets there, the the stones moved, and she sees, you know, and she's she runs back and she tells Peter and John and tells the disciples, and Peter and John come running and they go in, and uh, John gets there first, and and John, you know, or and John goes in, or I think it's John gets there first. I said the um, Let's see. It says, so they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter. So actually, yeah, John got, John got there first and came first to the sepulcher. And stooping down, they looked in. That's verse 5. They, they saw the linen clothes lying, yet he was not there. And, uh, and then Simon Peter came, and, and follow, following him, they went in the sepulcher, and they didn't find him. And then notice in verse 8, it says this, Then, then when also the other disciples, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Now, you know, uh, it says, for as yet, verse 9, for as yet, they did not know the Scripture that He must rise again from the dead. So the disciples, you know, we, we give them a hard time and, and you know, because Jesus talked so much about what He was going to do and, and the end of His life and what was going to happen. But here it says that they didn't even recognize the Scripture that said that He was going to rise again. They just thought He was dead. Man, I mean, that must have been a, you know, that was a rough couple days for His disciples, you know. And but here they saw him. They saw that the linen cloth was laying there, and the and the napkin was that was over his face was folded and laid over to the side. But then then this this is interesting. In verse ten, it says, "Then the disciples went away again into their own home." So after they saw this, they just left and went home. Well, Mary here in verse eleven. Let's let's keep reading in verse eleven. It says this, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And she saw two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the, at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had said thus, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. So, you know, she said that, then she turned around and she saw somebody else just standing there. She didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? What seekest thou? And she said, and she, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if you have, if you have borne him from here, tell me where, he has, where you have laid him and I will take him away. 
And then Jesus, now imagine this moment. This is not what we're talking about tonight, but just imagine this moment for a moment, for a second. You know, here Mary is weeping and just distraught and, and just, you know, doesn't know, doesn't know what's happening and the body's gone now. And, and man, I mean, she, you know, she's in chaos in her mind. And it says, and says, and then Jesus said unto her, Mary. He said her name. And, and I believe he said it in his voice and she heard it. Put yourself in that case that somebody you loved was gone and chaos and, and you didn't know what's happening and all of a sudden, you know, all these people, there are two people in the tomb and somebody back here you don't know and she's just like weeping, but all of a sudden you hear his voice. I mean, what a moment that must have been for Mary. And it says, and he said, Mary. And she turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. And she must have come running toward him or wanting to grab him. Because notice what Jesus said here. And here's the verse I want you to see. Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and to your God. So now listen. So what Jesus told her was this. When she tried to touch him, Jesus said, Don't touch me. Because I haven't yet been to my Father. Now, what was the significance of that? Well, the significance of that was the whole. You have to understand the whole, uh, the, the whole process, the whole process of offering a uh, of the high priest and offering the sacrifice. When when the high priest would inspect the sacrifice, it had to be perfect. There couldn't be one speck of dirt. There couldn't be one cut. There couldn't be one. Uh, there couldn't be anything that was wrong with that sacrifice, or it could not be. The sacrifice. He, he, would, he would reject it and he would have to, they would have to bring another one. Well, Jesus being our sacrifice, um, and, and you have to understand because the whole process for the high priest, um, he was cleansed like for two weeks before he entered into the Holy of Holies. And he couldn't touch anybody. If he touched anybody that had not been ceremonial clean, ceremonially cleaned, then he would be considered unfit. And he would be considered dirty, and he wouldn't be able to, to offer the sacrifice. So, if she had touched Jesus at that moment, it would it would have it could have, and I, I don't know. I, I mean, it probably would have just based on the system. It could have nullified his his sacrifice because he would have been touched by something unclean. So Jesus told her, "Don't touch me because I haven't been to the Father." And what he was saying was this: I'm on my way to offer the blood for the sacrifice. And it's a perfect sacrifice, and nothing unclean can touch me. So and he said, "Go tell." He said, "Go tell the disciples that I'm going to my Father and their Father, my God and their God." Man, what a, I mean, what a statement! So, so she left and went back and told the disciples. Now, what happened? I don't have I don't have the time to to go into everything that happened. I'll just I'll just say this real quickly. You can go back and study. This is an interesting study, but you can go back and study in Leviticus. About how they cleanse the how they cleanse the um, the temple, and they they sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on all the utensils, and there was a certain procedure they did to sacrifice or to 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 cleanse the temple and to have it considered cleansed. What I believe happened now this and and a lot of what I'm telling you tonight, if you if you look it up on the internet and and look at different people, you'll have a lot of different opinions about this. But my belief is that this moment. And, and, you know, and, and whether it happened just like, like I believe or whether, whether it happened in a different sequence, I don't, you know, that's, you know, we can debate that till, till Jesus comes back, you know. But, but I believe Jesus ascended into heaven and I believe he cleansed the temple. Now, in Job, the Bible talks about how that, 
that Satan at some point had access to the very throne of God. You know, that Satan could go before God. As a matter of fact, in Job, he's called, he's called the accuser of the brethren. Right? And so that means that at some point, that even after he fell, even after Satan fell, he still had access in the heavenly realm. Now, my belief, and, and like I said, you, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different opinions, and I, I'm just telling you what I believe. I believe what happened here was that when Jesus went and, and offered His blood, and He cleansed the heavenly holy of holies, because, because Satan had been there. He cleansed the, the heavenly holy of holies. I believe at that moment, now it could have happened before, I mean, like I said, don't, you know, this is just, this is Stephenology here, okay? Uh, you know, I believe at that moment is when is when Jesus cleansed cleansed the temple and Satan was expelled forever from the heavenly realm, and that's the reason why that now Satan Satan does not stand before God accusing me accusing accusing uh, me before God because the because the the heavenly holy of holies is cleansed and nothing unclean could ever get there. So. So, and some people believe it happened way before that, and then, and some people believe it happened here. But I just, I believe that when Jesus offered that, you know, I just, it makes sense to me anyway, that that was when the heavenly holy of holies was cleansed, because at this moment, at this very moment, nobody actually, the people that had died had not went to heaven yet. So heaven was unpopulated. Because they were in Abraham's bosom. Because the only way that people could get to heaven was through Jesus. Jesus had just completed the, the death, burial, and resurrection. And I'm getting ready to show you the process of what happened there. And then, and then we'll see, we'll go from there. So that's, that's my two cents on that. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And let's see what the Bible says happened in those three days. Now, boy, I tell you, put your, put your shouting clothes on because this is, this is good here. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. It says this, Wherefore, he said, he saith, when he ascended up on high, now this is talking about Jesus, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And we'll come back and talk about that in just a second. Verse 9 says, Now he that ascended, what is it? But it was he that also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. So now here's what he, he, he said. Here's what happened. He said, he said, talking about Jesus here, and he said that, he said that Jesus he said, when he ascended up on the high, he led captivity captive. Now, um, turn, look, at, look at me, at, turn over to 1 Peter and let's see what he's talking about, about captivity being taken captive. Because you remember, we, we've already talked about that in Hades, in Hades, the, the people, the, believe, the ones that believed on God, they were there in Abraham's bosom. Now, we don't know how this happened. We, I mean, you know, the Scripture doesn't... Pointed out verse by verse, or or exactly what happened. But when when Jesus died, his spirit went to Hades, and he paid the price. Now let me say this too. A lot of times you'll hear this. You'll hear that Satan was in Hades torturing Jesus, but that's not the case. Satan's doing everything he can do to stay out of Hades and to stay out of hell. He don't want to go there because he knows once he goes there, he's not coming back. 
Now, there was all kinds of demons and all kinds of things in hell that, that the Bible says other scriptures, like uh, Jude talks about that, that there's angels that were locked and bound you know, in Hades until the, until the judgment. There's all kinds of things that happened there. And Jesus was tortured. I believe, he, I believe He took the penalty for every one of our sins. One of the greatest, one of the greatest pictures I've seen of that was, uh, I, I think it was Jim Richards said this, that he had a vision and he saw Jesus bound with chains in hell. And he said, and, and he, he looked a little bit closer on every one of the chains, there was something written. And he said, as he looked even closer, said he came up closer to it, and on every one of the links of the chains was the sins that he had committed. Now, we know this, that the sins that we commit don't take us to hell. There's one sin that will take you to hell. And that's rejecting Jesus. You know, when you stand before God, when, you, when, when He says... You know, when he's not going to ask you how many sins did you commit. Let's see if let's see if it equals up. How many good things did you do? He's not going to ask that. The question will be this: What did you do with Jesus? And if you accepted him, then you're in heaven. You're in heaven. If you if you rejected him, then your your eternal home is in hell. People say how 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 could God how could a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. It's the choices that we make. Everybody that's in hell, it was God's desire that they be in heaven with Him. But by their own choice, their decision to reject Jesus Christ as a Savior and as a Lord put them in hell. Drugs and, and adultery and pornography and, and murder and lying, cheating, stealing, none of that was the reason anybody's in hell today. The only reason is because they reject Jesus Christ. But... It's because of us rejecting Him, it's because of, of us rejecting Him that He had to pay our price. And He paid our price. So He went to, he went to Hades, He went to hell, and for, for, the, for that period of three days, or three days and three nights, He was in Hades. And, and there's, there's a lot, of, like, and like I said, there's so much, man, you could, you could run a thousand different ways with this. There's so much speculation about what happened, but I believe... From Jonah, well, I tell you what, let's just turn over to Jonah real quick. And, and we'll look at this. Jonah chapter 2. <clears throat> and we'll just read this real quick. And I gave you notes because I knew I'd be throwing a lot at you tonight, so I typed it all out for you. Jonah chapter 2. And it said this, it says, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. And he said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, or that's that word Hades, out of the belly of Hades, cried I, and you heard my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, the floods can pass me about, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward the holy temple. The waters can pass me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottom of the mountain. The earth with all her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple." And they that observe lie in vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee 
with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spoke unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. I believe what happened, I believe Jesus was, he, uh, when, when, he, when He finished the job of paying for every, taking the punishment and the pain for every sin, every, every person that would ever reject Him, and took care of every sickness, every disease. When when he when he got to that place where he he can you know you can say I, I can say it this way and and this is kind of a radical thought but I believe I believe here's what it is I believe Jesus got to the place where he in hell he remembered and he said and he said that you know he knew that for that he was the sacrifice that he was the one that was going to pay for the sins of the world. And when when he when his heart was fully convinced that God that everything had been paid for, I believe that's when God spoke, and and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll see this scripture in a second. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he Jesus was resurrected, but he made a stop before he was re, before he before he fully came out. Where did he stop? The Bible says, and let's let's look here in First Peter three, and I'll show you this. First Peter three. In verse 18, it says this, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Now look at verse 19. By which also He went and preached unto the spirits in prison. So Jesus, when He went to hell, and when He went to Hades, excuse me, when he came out, I believe he stopped at Abraham's bosom, and I believe I believe that he preached to them his life and everything, and and just like he did with the guys on the road to Emmaus, he un, he un, unveiled the scripture all the way from from the beginning all the way up to the end, and they saw Jesus, and when they believed in Jesus, he led captivity captive out of that place and took them to their heavenly Father. We could say it this way: I I believe that that was the first that was the first. Uh, group of born-again spirits. Because He preached to those that were in prison. In other words, those that were bound, those that were held there for a time, I believe He preached to them and they accepted Him. As a matter of fact, the Bible says at His resurrection that many of the ones that had died showed themselves and walked around the graves open and they walked around the city for a space of time. Now, isn't that something? So he preached to them. He preached to those that were in cap- captivity, those that were in prison, and they they ra- they were they were delivered from there, and now they're up in heaven with with their heavenly Father. Amen. I know I'm throwing a lot at you. Look at Colossians two, and I'll I'll finish with this. I'll give you enough to chew on for a month. Colossians two fifteen. Now come on, this is good. And man, we could give you so many other scriptures as well. Colossians two fifteen. He says this. Colossians 2.15. Well, look at verse 14. We'll start in verse 14. Colossians 2.14. He says, Blotting out the handwriting handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And look at verse 15. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. The, uh, The Amplified says this, now, I love this. Listen to this. God disarmed the principalities and the powers that raged against us and made a bold display and public example of them 
and triumphing over them in Him and in it, the cross. Notice what He did. It says that God disarmed the principalities and the powers. What does that mean? When He died on the cross and when He was buried and rose again from the cross, what He was saying was this. He said, I'm taking away their power. They have no power over you. They have, they have no ability over you. There's nothing that they can do to you. Why? Because he disarmed them when he, when he when he made a show of them openly. It says and he and it says that he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So in a in a triumphant uh, in a triumphant uh, uh, procession. You know now now think about this, and we're getting ready to close. In a triumphant procession, like when two kings would battle each other. The winning king, when he knew that the battle... And he didn't do it until he knew the battle was over. When the battle was over and he captured the other king, and he knew 100% that they had, that they had won the victory, he would take that other king, and a lot of times he would, they would do things to disgrace them. They would strip them naked. They would, a lot of times they would cut their thumbs off. Uh, they would cut their toes off, their big toes. They cut their thumbs off so they could never swing a sword again. They cut their toes off so that they couldn't run. And, and they would, and, the, and a lot of times they would take their family and they would make the, they would make the, they would make the king watch as, as the, as the people killed their family right in front of his eyes. And his, his military generals and stuff, they would kill him if they survived, they would kill him right in front of his eyes. And then they would gouge his eyes out because they believed that the very last thing you saw you would think about forever. And what that, what that was saying to them was this, nobody's coming after you. There's nobody coming to rescue you. It's over. You're defeated. And here it says that that is exactly what Jesus did to the principalities and the powers. That He disarmed them and He made a triumphant possession and He said, you know what? It is over. Nobody's coming to rescue the devil. Amen. Come on. What Jesus did on the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection took care of all the power of the devil forever. Now... We say this, well, how come, how come the world's going to hell in a handbasket? You know, we hear people say that all the time. It's because of man's decisions. It's not because, I, I'm, guys, I'm telling you, it's not, a power, it's not a power struggle between God and the devil. He's been kicked out. He's been disarmed. He's been defeated. He's like, I always say, he's like Larry the Cucumber. No arms and no feet. He's been disarmed and defeated. Amen. And so, so, you know, so here, here we have this picture and we see that Jesus, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, because he paid the price, it was paid. And then what did he say? He told his disciples before, you know, because he went to heaven and he came back and he appeared for 40 some days uh, with his disciples. And what did he tell them? He said, I have the keys to death, hell, and the grave. In other words, he said, I won the victory. So there's not a battle going on right now between good and bad. There's not a, it's not a matter of, of if, if Satan's ever going to be strong enough to defeat God. The answer to that is no way. Amen. No way. The battle, I'm, guys, I'm telling you, the battle is right here. It's in the minds and the hearts of every person that walks this earth. It's, it's, the, it's the people, it's, it's the choices we make, the decisions we make. It's the, it's the, the, you know, um, I heard, I was listening to the, a podcast this week and they talked about, uh, I don't know if any of y'all seen the, the new Frozen, uh, Stacey and I went with, with, uh, Noah and Madison to watch it for something. That's the only thing that they wanted to watch or something. So I went with them and, and, uh, but there was one song in that, that thing. And I remember hearing this 
And this, this lady on this podcast brought this out. But there's one song in there where, where when she thought, the, the lady th- thought that everybody had left her and there wasn't no hope or something, and she was trying to figure out how to, how to make it or something. But she sung this song, and, and there's a, a part in the song that said this, you know, the next right choice or the next right decision or something like that. And, and, and that phrase right there, man, I mean, that just, that's an incredible thought that, you know how we win in life? The next right choice. You know how you get out of the trouble you're in? The next right choice. The next time the opportunity presents itself, make the right choice. Make the right decision next time. Yeah, but you don't know how many times. It don't matter what you've done in the past. Make the next right choice. Start today. Choose today. Make the right choice today. And when you make the right choice today, then guess what? The next time that opportunity comes, make the next right choice. Then, then the next day, what happens the next time? Make the next right choice. And what do you do? When you start making right choices, you start having right actions. Amen. And see, this world is, is the place, it's, it's the shape it's in. It's in because people have made the wrong choices. It's not because Satan is so strong and it's not because... Listen, you can read the book. Read the book and you, we know how this ends. For you and me, if we're Christian, if we, if we are sons and daughters of God, it ends well. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it don't end too well. I would suggest you make a choice tonight. Right now, <laughs> you know, that you make the right choice. Amen. And so, so listen, so the, so the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus paid the price. It took care of everything. It disarmed principalities and powers. It, it, he, totally, he totally kicked Satan's rear end. And, and as of today, we are still, he is still, and we are, because we're in him, we are victorious because of what he did on the cross. Amen. All right. Um, any questions? I'll, that's a brave. <laughs> that's a that's a brave question for a message like this. <laughs> we can talk. We'll talk after. So I, I'll, I'll share some with you. Anybody? I mean, I, you know, I know I threw a lot at you tonight, but listen. But you can take the take and study those scriptures. Look at the look at the note. That's the reason I gave you these notes. That's the reason I wanted you to have you know this notebook that we're doing on all these these things, so you can take it and study it. And you can know for yourself. Not, don't believe it just because I said it. Believe it because you saw it in the Word and that, that the Holy Spirit showed you. Amen. So take and study for yourself and see. And if you have questions, call me. We can talk about it. I may not have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. I can tell you that. But, but I do know, listen, I do know that, that we win. And if we make the right choices and the right decisions, we can come out on top. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. All right. Well, let me pray for you and then we'll go. All right. So, Father, we love you. We thank you for your word, Father. Uh, Lord, I just pray you clean up any messes I made tonight. <laughs> Holy Spirit, just, uh, if, if, Father, if I'm wrong on some of this, uh, then, Lord, you, you just, you show us and, and uh, help, help us get that revelation, Lord. I, I just, uh, I, I, I delivered what I, what I felt like that, that you wanted me to, Father, and, and through these scriptures, and I believe that's the way it happened. And, and Father, so thank you for giving us more revelation and insight into this, Lord. Holy Spirit, thank you for, for teaching us. You, Jesus said that you're our teacher and you're living on the inside of us. So, so we thank you, Father, for teaching us and we thank you uh, for helping us in these things. So we bless you and we honor you. We thank you for all that you're doing, Father. You, you are such a good, good Father and we love you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless.